Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Hello, hello. Okay, today I wanted to talk about what I wish I had known when I first started gardening. So I've been reflecting back on that time when I was a beginner, beginner, total novice, and I truly am grateful for the approach that I took. Um, I speak very like existentially about gardening because it really did change my life and it really reawakened me to my own intuition and to just living life in my own way. Um, But there are also some very specific and tactical lessons that I learned. So I want to share those with you guys too. Um, But first and foremost, I just want to say, if you are a beginner, just enjoy being a beginner. Like this is a new endeavor for you. And I think it's such a beautiful pursuit. I think the failures that we have in the garden are so informative. It's really such a great place for lessons to be lessons. And I'll explain what I think a good approach is for being a beginner, because while there's no right or wrong way to do it, I think we can, you know, establish a more shallow learning curve as well as potentially like save you some money and some heartache. Um, So if it was my first day gardening and I could give someone any advice beyond just like, enjoy it, be a beginner, don't be afraid to fail, all of those things. I would say the first thing that you should get to know, and I didn't know this when I got started, was about finding your hardiness zone. So the hardiness zones here in the U.S. um, are traditionally like U.S. hardiness zone three through 11. Um, And I use it actually as sort of a transcendent guide because if you like Google the U.S. hardiness zone of Madrid, they'll give you an equivalent. And it basically very easily breaks down your climate for you and helps you understand your first and last frost dates, which all overarching is just a way to understand the weather patterns and your warm versus cool season. So this was super important for me to understand. And some people de-emphasize this and I, I don't know how, but I live in zone 10 um, and whether it's 10A or 10B, I've gotten mixed reviews. I think we're where I specifically am is more a 10B um, because we're up on a hill and it tends to be hotter and drier. Um, It really helps contextualize what you're doing and when things should be planting. And every U.S. hardiness zone should have its own planting calendar. When seeds should be sown, when transplants are put in, when frost is coming. I mean, I don't even get a frost. So our seasons are just really different. And understanding the U.S. hardiness zone for me was a total game changer. Now, you guys know I have a subscription service. It's called the Kitchen Garden Society. 
And it's where every month we update what's going on in each of the U.S. hardiness zones. And I I created it because I had this huge need. Every single month I was Googling what I should be doing. And I just wanted one place to just confidently, confidently tell me like, what to be sowing, what to be harvesting, what to be transplanting, like give me inspiration, ideas, lessons as they came up. It's like, okay, right now we should be planting perennials and shrubs, but like, how do I do that? What do I need to be worried about? Which are good ones for me? Like, so that's all in the Kitchen Garden Society, but it was really like, that was such a big need for me. My first day gardening, I wish I would have known that. So that is number one. Um, and it really leads into number two, which is understanding your microclimate. So everyone has their U.S. hardiness zone, but then they have like their own garden. And even within your own garden are these little pockets, these tiny little microclimates that determine all sorts of things. So our microclimate in zone 10 is, so for one, I'm coastal. We're within five miles of the ocean, but we're up on a hill. So we're above any fog that comes in. We tend to be really hot. My specific garden is facing Northwest. So we get really harsh afternoon sun. We do not have a ton of shade, but I use plants in the garden to create shade and therefore create like a microclimate of the microclimate. But understanding that your individual garden is super important is fundamental. Um, The other thing I learned when helping out one of my girlfriends in her garden, she was in Utah, um, is that her hardiness zone really was just a guide. And, but her microclimate was way more indicative of what was going on because she was at a really high altitude. So the altitude really dictated a ton. And then their daylight hours are really different too. And just knowing your hardiness zone isn't going to do enough for you. You need to fully understand just where your garden's placed, the type of weather that you get, and um, getting to know people at your local nursery will, will really help with this because nurseries are typically only serving about a five mile radius. And so the closest nursery to you should know the most about your specific climate. And they're just such a wealth of knowledge, but those uh, microclimate sort of concept of like all the different ways things can happen in the garden, even like, you know, I've got a, a really shady patch of dirt in my garden that also the soil has really never been touched. So it's like this stunning soil where I grow a ton of herbs it's just like a weird pocket, but it's totally its own like zone. So really getting granular is helpful, not to overwhelm you, but just to help you see things with fresh eyes. So on the note of soil, I think that's the third thing. Everyone talks about soil, soil is so important, blah, blah, blah. What I didn't get is like, you can't just buy good enough soil. I'll be totally honest. I don't think you can just buy topsoil and compost, and that's enough. You have to amend it with other things if you're not starting out with this super nutritious, loamy soil. Um, I've made a ton of soil mistakes. And also the first time you fill raised beds, I've just, it just always takes a while for things to get acclimated and like sort of stirred together properly. But really amending your soil really seriously is important. I would say making sure you have good, just basic dirt in like a raised bed. 
So not even like topsoil, just like dirt, which is really hard to find. Um, and filling a majority of your bed with just like good old fashioned dirt and then adding compost and then adding worm castings and then adding kelp meal, some calcium, that is all going to do so much work for you and lay such an incredible foundation. So the soil is super, super important. And people come to me a lot, like really confused about soil. And I totally get it because everyone you talk to has like a little bit of a different take on what it needs. Because if you're amending soil in the ground, you need to understand the existing soil. It's either going to be sandy or clay or loamy. Sandy is super sandy, holds no water, holds no nutrients. You've got to amend that with compost and build it into something that can retain water. Clay is super dense. It sticks together. It needs more air so water can flow through it. Also can be amended with compost, but I think sometimes you need other things like gypsum um, that will break that clay down and and create more airflow uh, over the long run. Um, And then if your soil is just like really loamy deliciousness, like let's say you just happen to buy a house that had already had a farm on it or something, um, I still think you need to be adding healthy compost in. Now, the fourth thing that um, I wish I'd known on my first day was that I needed a plan for irrigation, but I didn't need to have it installed. My husband and I went back and forth because he's like, get irrigation going from the get-go. I'm really glad I didn't because the best thing for a garden is the gardener's shadow. It's having you out there checking things out. And so as you're developing a habit, as you're informing your instincts, as you're really getting in the thick of your gardener-ness, I think it's really crucial that you're out there and knowing you need to water and going around watering by hand, taking the time is going to help hone your instincts, hone your eye. It's going to help you identify pest issues really early, saving you time and money when like, you know, so instead of having an entire crop of tomatoes get eaten by hornworms, you'll find the first one because you'll see the poop and you'll search for it. And like, you need to be out there. So I actually feel somewhat passionate about this irrigation thing, like have a plan, get things trenched out or piped or like know that the irrigation can be set up, figure that out. But I don't think you need to have it going from day one. There's a lot about gardening. I'm glad I didn't know um, because I don't think it's as important as getting out there and getting started. People are going to talk to you about succession sowing, about crop rotation. Like these are things I advocate. I love companion planting, especially, but like, don't let it stop you from getting started. Like just plant something and get to know your climate and your garden and like follow the passion, follow the interest and just get started. Like you will naturally start to see what's working and what's not and seek out information And in the process of figuring out the information and following that journey, you will learn what you need to learn. And really like there's nothing as motivating as seeing what you've instinctually tried be a success. So I will say from day one, get into the habit as well of journaling about the garden. And I'm not saying like, oh, go sit down and like journal and what comes to you. And like, let's write a poem about the garden, like haikus. No. Be specific about the information that you're putting on paper so that you have some sort of basis, some sort of like homeostasis for the garden that you can refer back to each season. So the things that you should be marking down are what you planted, the variety, when you planted them, 
uh, where you planted them, like what part of the bed, what plants were near it. I always draw my bed out at the beginning of the season so I can see like, okay, I put tomatoes in and then basil and the marigolds. And maybe one year I put in peppers. In fact, one year I did put in peppers and the growth was stunted um, for the peppers and the tomatoes. And someone was like, I don't think they're good companions. Now that's a bad example because people actually argue about peppers and tomatoes as companions, but I think they steal nutrients from each other. So I never plant them near each other. Um, and it was because of that first early experience, but this investigation is going to inform you of your specific garden and what it needs and what can grow where. And you'll just, you'll see this year I grew pansies out of season for almost the entire summer because they just happened to be in this area of the garden that gets a lot more shade than I ever realized. And so now I kind of better understand that. Like I hadn't, I had been paying attention, but I hadn't realized that this, this tree line really shaded a certain bed most of the day, um, making it perfect for pansies and violas and traditionally cool weather crops to last all the way through the summer. So, um, these are the things to write down in your garden journal and take notes on. I wish I had done a better job with that. Uh, early on when I first got started. And then also taking note of like the certain varieties that do well and the timing of things. I think I'm beginning to learn that my summer season, everything should be planted late April, um, too early and things just don't do well. The plants are like waiting for the heat too late and it's a little too hot for the baby seedlings to really get get their legs going. So that's a magic formula for me that I've learned over just tons of trial and error. And now I can sort of coast on that one element. Um, and this year I'm really digging major into like intercropping and crop rotation, like really paying attention to where everything is and then what is succeeding it. And those are things I do not think you need to stress out about as a beginning gardener. I had like a dozen successful seasons without really worrying about that. So it's all about your goals. And I think having a goal for the garden is really important as well. Okay. So here's something else I think you need to know as a beginning gardener that will save you some stress potentially. I don't think you need to be starting seeds. Like go get as many seedlings as you can. Some plants prefer to be started by seeds. So um, corn, beans, root crops, right? Because the vegetable is the root, like beets, radishes, um, they don't want to be disturbed carrots. But other than that, um, above ground, anything, fruiting, like squash, tomatoes, peppers, go get starts. Like give you, do yourself a favor and like not have the heartache of those not working. Let, don't let that be a barrier to entry. Go get some really healthy starts and you'll get some instant gratification to help sort of push you along in your journey. Um, and I think that will also, I know seedlings are more expensive than seeds, but as you're getting going, it ends up, I feel like being, it can be sort of a wash. So like splurge a little on the seedlings as opposed to seeds so that you can see that success. And then the next year sort of challenge yourself. Also seed buying is like a total addiction and everyone always over orders seeds and over sows seeds or doesn't plant as many seeds as they think of a certain variety. And then you're stuck with seeds from 10 years ago. It's like a thing. So save yourself and just buy seedlings. So another thing I wish I would have paid better attention to was adding structure to the garden. Now, a lot of plants will like supports 
certain trellises or having even just like some staking. And I would be very generous with this. If you think a plant looks like weak or bendy or is getting too tall, add a support. Um, Definitely learn how to grow vertically. That will get you out in the garden, sort of helping things go up a trellis, but also creates a lot more space and visual interest. A lot of plants just thrive, you know, cucumbers when they're vining up a structure instead of just sort of flopping around. They can totally grow flopping around as vines, but they just don't get the proper airflow and sun exposure that they really need. So pay attention to the what needs a trellis and a structure or just kind of follow your intuition on it, see what's sort of trailing around and could use some support. And I would invest in doing that. I love DIY trellises using bamboo or redwood stakes or forged twigs from whatever driftwood. I've used a thousand things, chicken wire. You can use hog paneling. You can use T-posts, rebar, like there's really no end. So um, get into that and start creating vertical space because that will help everything do really well. So this is really sort of a mini-sode, but I wanted you guys to have something if you're a beginner gardener on your first day or you feel like you need to get back to the basics or you've got tons of friends who are into gardening, you can send this episode to them. Um, But I just wanted to sort of reorient you around the very, very bare basics of what I wish I knew and how to get going. Um, I'm going to put in the show notes a link so you can figure out your hardiness zone because I think that is so, so crucial. And I might even link to some of my favorite soil brands, just give you guys some resources. But if you guys have any questions, we'll do a Q&A episode soon. So feel free to DM me on Instagram. It's just at Bailey Van Tassel and we can chat there. Hope you have a great day. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.